This video contains mentions of mental and physical abuse, as well as sexual violence and rape. Raya never made it to LA. For the last two years she had been stuck in San Bernardino, mostly because of how expensive things were. She had gotten talking to a nice lady on the Greyhound who had told her she might as well stop in this town instead of going to the coast. It's cheaper here, plus you can crash with me and my friend. Two years later she was still crashing with them. Sort of. There were a lot of sort ofs in Raya's life. Raya, or Carmen back then, had agreed, if only because she had about 60 bucks to her name. She hadn't exactly planned her departure from Selena, but then she hadn't exactly planned to beat her boyfriend's head in with the door to his dad's 1961 DeSoto. The piece of junk had dented more from that than Tommy's head had, but by the time she was done, even his thick skull had gotten bent out of shape. She'd been mulling over the series of events for the first haul of the trip, how he'd promised to take her to the movies, but instead he just wanted to feel her up by the mall parking lot, and how she'd gotten pissed. She told him no, tried to play it off at first, but then she'd gotten angry. Got the devil inside her, like her Mimi would say, can see him behind her eyes. She said that often, and with a certain bemused bite in her tone, every time Carmen had come home with a bloodied nose from a fist fight with other girls, or boys, or with her clothes stinking of cigarettes and the cheap booze one of her friends had shared out in the nearby park, yelling curses at her paw when he tried to discipline her, with his mouth, or, more and more often when she grew older, his belt, or fist. And every time her Mimi would shake her head to herself in the kitchen, giving the young girl a cold rag to put on her bruises, or rubbing alcohol for her scuffs, all the while reciting passages from her favorite book, The Good Book, about how the devil would come for her if she didn't straighten up and become a good Christian. Carmen didn't think there was much about what she'd done to Tommy that would come off as being a good Christian, but at some point she figured not even Jesus Christ himself would have the patience to keep forgiving her transgressions. She was going to LA, she had decided that night, to get into acting or movies or just become somebody. Selena was too small for her, had too many bad memories. So she'd snuck past her paw, drunk and asleep in front of the TV, and had packed some changes of clothes, her toothbrush, and her dad's gun in a backpack before she'd left, and she could have sworn she'd seen her Mimi stand in the window of the kitchen, watching her leave. She had waited for five hours at the bus stop, Five hours of nervously checking over her shoulders, five hours of wondering if the police would catch her before she managed to ditch town, but they never did. One time she saw the ambulance drive past with sirens on, and she wondered if they'd found Tommy. She wondered if she'd left any fingerprints. She didn't wonder if he was dead. Kimberly, the woman she had met on the bus, had been pretty talkative and friendly. She said she was 25, but she looked closer to 40. Heavy makeup, sunken in eyes, frazzled hair. There was a smell about her that reminded her of her mother before she'd walked out on them six years ago. It was kind of a sweet, almost sickly sweet, rotten smell, but it was strangely comforting. And when the two had gotten off in San Bernardino, things looked up for a little bit. Sure, Kimberly's friend turned out to be a scrawny and twitchy sleazeball named Donnie, and Carmen was pretty sure they were making meth in the kitchen, but at least they didn't ask any questions. Kim, it's only Kimberly to strangers, sweetheart decided that Carmen needed a new nickname and picked Raya for her. It was from some show and Carmen reminded Kim of a character in it. For the first week Raya mostly slept, got up to eat some stale cereal or toast and then went back to sleep. But after a while Donnie started looking at her funny. Kim told her not to worry about it, but just to be safe she ought to start paying rent, just to make sure Donnie didn't get any weird ideas. 
Raya sold her dad's gun and bullets the same day, and the money she got from it, a hundred bucks, seemed to satisfy Donnie for a bit. Two weeks to be exact. But then he wanted more. But Raya couldn't give him any money. Afraid she would be thrown out, she turned to Kim, who told her maybe she should go home. But Raya couldn't. Oh, she wouldn't. And finally Kim relented, told her how she was paying rent, but that Raya shouldn't do what she did. She was still young, she could go to LA or San Diego, anywhere else. But LA was expensive, and Raya couldn't go home, and she'd be no safer in San Diego. She had an answer for every excuse Kim offered, and finally she relented and showed her how to do her work. What to watch out for, how to steer clear of cops, and reluctantly introduced her to her regulars. Raya would often think about LA in the following years. She'd never been there, of course. She'd only seen movies, TV shows. Occasionally, people she watched on YouTube talked about it. In her mind, it became a place of worship, where people would rise above the rest, become part of something bigger, a hive mind of current events mixed with makeup tips and lifestyle vloggers, a place of freedom. The worse her life got, the more her mind would drift there. She would dream of the Hollywood sign. She would picture herself walking along Venice Beach, checking out the stars of the Walk of Fame. In her mind, Raya would reinvent herself, become an influential star, owning her own brand of perfume or fashion line. She would spend hours upon hours on her phone, escaping to the glamorous life of people who lived only a few miles away from her. This was all just a pit stop. All she needed was time to make enough money to get on another bus and keep going west. But every day she woke up, she just couldn't find the energy to leave. The fear of something intangible dulling her senses. It was as if she was listening to reality through two pillows, everything muted and distant, her heart unable to connect with or really feel anything. Kim was nice to her. She wasn't forcing Raya to do anything, and sometimes they would spend the weekend watching a movie or just hanging out. But even that grew hollow and meaningless over time. She'd almost forgotten about her past life when one day it came back in full force. Her pa found her. He drove up to the rest stop she was at, drunk out of his mind with his fists raised, and for a moment Raya was Carmen again. He began to beat her, berate her, spit on her. One of the other girls tried to stop him, but he pushed her away so hard she hit her head, sagging down to the floor. It was enough for Raya to get the devil in her, and this time he was here to stay. Her memories of the event were painfully clear. The devil had taken hold, but he'd made her watch. He'd force her to watch as she'd groan and groan and groan, tearing through her clothes as pure white fur sprouted across her entire body, radiating out in spirals of thicker hair as the bones inside of her cracked and splintered and moved under the surface. She bled from all over, thousands of tiny cuts. The pain was beyond compare. But she didn't close her eyes to it. She didn't look away. She felt this. She had gutted Pa, torn out his entrails and decorated the stalls with his insides. He'd been squealing like a pig as she'd ripped his arms off before finally tearing his head from his shoulders with her fanged maw. Each spasm of a dying muscle, each gurgling sound or drop of blood radiated through her like an exploding sun. She felt it all. The snow white fur was drenched in red when she came to, but she didn't run away. Instead she ran to her home 
and there she did the same to everyone in that place. She tore Donnie to shreds, and the devil watched from behind her eyes as her massive claws dug into Kim's tiny, frail body, her warm blood smelling so sickly sweet. And when it was all done, when she stood in a pile of guts and gore and blood, she realized what she'd done. She wanted to cry, but nothing came out. Just a building dissociation. This wasn't real. None of this was real. She wasn't there. She wasn't feeling anything. She washed up, packed her things, and left. The bloody, stinking mess left behind barely registering as her senses dulled once more. She was going to L.A. She had to go to L.A. But Raya never made it to L.A. Instead, she walked past a bus stop, outside the city limits, up Devil's Canyon. Her feet took her there, her mind turned off to anything but the road straight ahead of her. The bonfire she came to shone brighter than the stars in the sky, and seemed almost sickly green to her more attuned senses. There were four individuals around it, but two of them stuck to the shadows, and the other two, a man and a woman, looked quietly her way, as if sizing her up. The sweet, almost rotten smell so familiar to her was here too, and she sat down next to the fire unafraid. There was silence for a long while, no reaction as if they'd expected her to show up. And then after looking up at the moon above her, almost full and bloated green like the fire that warmed her, she began to speak. She told these strangers of her life in Selena, her escape to San Bernardino, the years she'd spent practically in a fugue state. All the words and thoughts stored away flowed out of her, without stop. She told them of Kim, of how she'd killed her only friend, the only one who'd cared about her. And finally, when she was done, she cried. And still the four did not speak to her. It wasn't until her eyes had no more tears to shed that the woman spoke up. Why are you here, Raya once Carmen? It was such a simple question, but Raya couldn't answer it at first. I... I want to belong, she whispered finally, mouth painfully dry. You belong with us. I, I, I want to be loved. We will love you. I, I want to be strong. You are strong. I, I want to be famous. They will sing songs of your deeds. I don't want to be hurt. It was a lie, a damned lie. But she said it anyway. Oh, but it will hurt, Raya once Carmen. The woman smiled slowly, and a giggle came from the shadows as the twisted, malformed creatures that had been there slowly crept into the light. Raya's eyes widened and she felt sick to her stomach, but she couldn't let it stop her. Her heart was beating painfully fast. She weighed her options slowly and thought back to the choices she'd made so far. Hadn't she always picked the ones that hurt the most? When she scraped her knees? Bruised her knuckles? When she killed Tommy? Kim? How much will it hurt? More than you can imagine. Will it make me feel again? She shivered as the creatures moved closer, almost wolf-like, yet wrong in every way. 
It was in anticipation she realized as she reached out to one of them. We will make you feel so many things, the man spoke up for the first time, and the baleful fire flared up suddenly, his hollowed out eye sockets visible for the first time. But first you must dance the spiral with us, Raya once, Carmen. Will you join us? The world of darkness is a dark place where terrible things happen to people, often those who deserve it the least. But sexual exploitation, survival sex, and sex work are things very real in our world. I don't want to stigmatize through this video, and I hope the intent of this story shines through as its primary purpose is to show one set of circumstances under which someone might become a black spiral dancer. The issue of survival sex and sex work is complex and multifaceted, and not one I would claim to be an expert on in any matter. The Sex Worker Outreach Project USA has much information about the topic, and I highly recommend their website if you wish to learn more, as they are able to discuss these issues in a very informative and educational manner. There will be a link in the description below. Thank you to Jacqueline Brick who provided sensitivity reading earlier in this script's process. I'm not sure I got things 100%, but this script would have been way worse if I hadn't gotten your help. Cheers. Thank you so much for your help. The four grandchildren of Cain wait patiently for the time of judgment to arise. Snow, wise beyond his years and powerful in his compassion. Bambi Parsons, a leader with an unbreakable will. Dr. Sheepington, whose wisdom like the ocean is deep and broad beyond our understanding and Dugal, whose thirst for blood is matched only by his strength of will. Their childer, the Methuselah, control our every move through their timeless jihad. They are her satanic majesty Dani, whose mere presence chills the heart. Maximilian as Hardcastle, tutor of countless ventru in the arts of the jihad. Socrates Johnson, whose understanding and compassion knows no bounds. Lauren Eason, a skillful and trustworthy ally and friend. The observant and calculating Procyon, master of many things, as well as Alexander Kanehurst, the inquisitive explorer of the world of darkness. On the council of the primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, 06, Stonewolf 18, Ian Nichols, The Black Friar, Ravenfang, Brad Hardwick, Pilgrim, and Get of Mathrox, wise leaders and of good judgment. This week, the council would wish to thank especially the elder Justin S. for your support. Thank you once again, my friend. I deeply appreciate it. We would also wish to once more honor the Ancilla Evelyn. Your loyalty and friendship is beyond a shadow of a doubt. Naturally, all our elders, Ancilla, and neonates receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there for the end times may soon be upon us.